When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What's good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the PitcherList Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I am doing great. Uh, I, I'm coming off like one of the entertainment highs of my life. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm quite jealous, honestly. Yeah, I just got to see Boy Genius and Barty's Strange live uh, in, in Wilmingham, Wilmington, Wilming something, North Carolina. Wilmington? I don't know. Sure. Sure. Why not? Uh, yeah, that's uh, honestly like a top three still like band that I want to see in my life. So I, uh, I, I moved to North Carolina recently and when, well, recently, it was like a, over a year ago at this point, but when my wife and i came down here to look for houses the weekend that we were down here was sandwiched by weekends where phoebe bridgers was playing in raleigh and the other weekend coheed and cambria was playing in raleigh two of my absolute favorite artists bands in the world and when i when i heard that phoebe was going to be with her her band her group boy genius only two hours away i just i had to i couldn't miss her again yeah, it's got to be an absolutely sick concert to go to. Um, I needed people to talk me into it. I can't believe because... that you needed people to talk you into it. It would have been like an absolute yes for me. You know, if I it, was in your position, oh God, 100%. I, I wanted to. I never didn't want to go, but I was going by myself. I've never been to a concert by myself before. And the second I arrived, like within like a six block radius of the concert, and I saw nothing but like uh like like teenage women walking around i was like oh no i am so <laughs> wildly i'm so wildly out of place here you look like a predator yeah 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 <laughs> I, I kept i kept waiting for someone to ask me which one my daughter was oh no you don't look that old <laughs> you look I, just I, old I, enough for it to be weird i think is, is is what it is i i am old enough to have had a, a daughter attending that concert that's weird. I don't want to. Think I know about that. it anyway. is weird. No, I, I will say going back to the topic of uh, going to do things like by yourself solo. That is quite literally one of my absolute favorite things to do is to go to like concerts, go out to restaurants, like what just anything really going to see a movie by myself. Like that is some of my favorite activities. Like I love my friends so much and I love spending time with people. But at the same time, there is nothing quite like just being completely unrestricted in terms of like what you can do and what your agenda is when you go to do stuff by yourself you know honestly this was like peak solo concert viewing 
a, a setup for me yeah because i i got an aisle seat Ooh. so there was no one to one side of me and on the other side of me no one was sitting in the next two seats so i just got to, i got to man spread i got to lounge it was beautiful it was lovely wonderful i'm very jealous of you i'm, I'm glad that you got to have that experience uh i'm wondering wait did they already come through chicago on their tour i'm not sure there's no way i can afford tickets never mind i'm not gonna i'm not gonna even bother anyways uh all right enough about our favorite band probably i think actually between us like just general like where our music interests cross this is like our favorite band probably right uh yeah like it's probably the highest on our our blended chart it's the biggest it's the biggest uh in the venn diagram yeah it's in that middle part of the venn diagram for sure uh god i'm so jealous uh anyways all right enough about boy genius let's dive into the deep the boy geniuses the boy geniuses the two boy geniuses being so 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 smart uh shubsy let's kick it off with you and talking about michael a taylor yeah uh would you guys at home believe me if i told you that over the last two weeks michael a taylor has been the ninth best hitter in fantasy extreme jay leto energy extreme jay hey uh y'all hear about this y'all hear about this here we hear about this michael a taylor guy uh nine what single digits ninth best hitter in fantasy so and if you zoom out to the entire season michael a taylor is one of only 10 players this season to have double digit home runs and steals and you know we we love a power speed threat in fantasy he is right now pretty comfortably on a 25 25 pace which is a milestone that only four players reached last year. And th- th- this, th- this is me lying with statistics right now, because this year, probably a lot more than four people are going to hit the 25-25 milestone. Oh, so yeah, this, is sure. me, this is me lying with statistics right now to make Michael A. Taylor's pace seem more impressive than it is. It's, not going, to, it's not going to be, quote-unquote, a lot of people. It is going to be more than last year, but... There, there's, like, at least... 10 right now on pace for it at least and uh last year it was four so we're 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 looking to increase last year's total by like 150 percent. that's true okay fair enough but yeah so uh pulling back the curtain i'm lying to you right now but uh first things first uh i want to address michael a taylor's biggest red flag and i'm pretty sure this is a red flag big enough that you could see it from space uh this is like a me in high school kind of red flag. Oh no. But uh, he's currently got a 34.4% strikeout rate, which is just stupid high. That's so bad. And a 34.4% strikeout rate is a death sentence to a batting average. The only players in the league who strike out at least a third of the time and hit at least 260, all of those players have at least a 400 BABIP which is not sustainable. We call that the Garrett Mitchell around here. You the shut weird... your mouth. <laughs> uh, the he can't even thing. defend himself. He's dead. <laughs> uh, uh, but the weird thing about hey, Michael A. Taylor's it. strikeout rate, uh, in, like his strikeout rate this year in particular, is that in previous years, he, he hasn't really been a 30% strikeout guy. Early in his Washington career, he struck out 30% of the time, but it trended downwards over, the, over uh, his career. And then once he got to Kansas City, he was striking out like, a, like in the mid-20s, which is manageable. 
And even more alarming is that while his strikeout rate has spiked to a near career high, his walk rate is also at a career low. So it's not an exaggeration to say that his plate discipline right now has never been worse. Counterintuitively, he's having his second best offensive season ever. Now, why? From what I'm seeing, he is... I want to say he is swinging harder and more aggressively on select pitches. We're we're looking at career highs or near career highs in ISO, X-slug, X-wobicon, hard hit rate, barrel rate, launch angle, like you name a power metric and Michael A. Taylor is probably at or close to a career high. Given what I was looking at here, I was kind of expecting to see that he was swinging more aggressively than before, like just being more of a free swinger. But he's actually being more passive than ever, which makes me think he's like looking for his pitch. He's looking for specific pitches and just trying to tee off on them. And like he's still he's still swinging at pitches in the zone at a well below league average rate. But I was looking at like where he was swinging at pitches. He's doing really, really well on pitches like middle, middle in, up and away. But the places where he's struggling, he's really, really struggling. Like down and away, he's helpless, completely helpless. Like, like, uh, like if a toddler was at the plate. Uh, and this makes sense. Like once you look at the types of pitches that he sees, Michael A. Taylor currently is seeing the 18th highest rate of sliders in baseball. Very few hitters are seeing a higher percentage of sliders than him. He actually sees more sliders than four-seamers, which is pretty uncommon. Michael A. Taylor is one of only 37 hitters in baseball to see less than 25% four-seamers. Less than a quarter of the pitches he sees are four-seamers. And that part is weird to me because he has never been pitched like this before. And he's not even particularly good at hitting four-seamers. Like, most of the guys who see very few four-seamers see very few four-seamers because they're really good at hitting them, and pitchers don't want to throw that pitch to them. Like, guys like Jorge Soler, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, those guys don't see fastballs because they crush fastballs. Meanwhile, historically, Michael A. Taylor is among the worst four-seam hitters in the league. Like, you would think pitchers would want to throw him more of that pitch. Like, I think, uh, I don't have it in front of me, I should, but uh, before this year, like, the lowest rate of four-seamers he had ever seen was 31%, I want to say, and this year it's at, like, 24. It's wild, like, the difference. But one one bit of really good news for his fantasy production is that Michael A. Taylor is doing his usual thing on the base paths, and that's something that I expect to stick around. Taylor is 32 now, and he has lost basically zero sprint speed over the last decade. And on top of the pure tools, we say here all the time on the show how stolen bases are largely about intent. Well, looking at how many stolen base opportunities he has and how many stolen bases he's attempted, Michael A. Taylor is the 26th most aggressive base runner in baseball based on some digging through baseball reference and some Excel shenanigans that Jordan and I did yesterday. This man did such a terrible job explaining what he needed from me. Like, I know Excel fairly well. Um, one of the few tech things that I know better than Schwebsy. And I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think you're very helpful. I don't know. 
I think that you can shut up. Um, <laughs> the, the point is we got there and I got okay. what I wanted and we found that Michael A. Taylor is in fact one of the more aggressive base runners in baseball. And another good thing is that pretty much no matter what, my man is going to be in that lineup every day. Michael A. Taylor's center field competition was Nick Gordon, and Gordon is going to be out for a good bit still. He fractured his tibia on May 17th, so it's probably safe to expect him to be out for another couple of months at least. And helping Michael A. Taylor's playing time case even further is that when Nick Gordon was healthy, he was playing really poorly, putting up a negative 0.4 war in 93 plate appearances, and being negative both offensively and defensively. The only other twin to play center field since Gordon went down is Willie Castro, who is more of a utility guy than a threat to take any significant center field plate appearances. They seem pretty intent on keeping Buxton out of center field this year for for his own good because he cannot stop himself from running into walls and running into the ground. Um, So... In conclusion, really, I can't say that as a hitter, I like Michael A. Taylor that much, sadly. I I think where I've landed is that he's like a less toolsy Jose Siri, but on a worse team. Mm. They They actually have pretty similar lines if you take a look. The main difference being Jose Siri is a significantly, uh, he, he hits the ball significantly harder and thus slugs better. But other than that, their lines are pretty similar. Uh, the reason I mentioned the team context is because the counting stats are not going to be fantastic on the Twins, especially hitting lower in the order. So he's going to get you home runs because he seems to be searching for pitches he can drive, and he is driving them. His barrel rate is pretty dang good right now. And he's going to get you steals because he always has and nothing has changed there. But he is not going to get you a whole lot else. There is pretty much always a spot for a 25-25 potential player on fantasy teams, especially one that plays all the time, but he is not going to get you a whole lot else other than home runs and steals. And if you can stomach the batting average OBP black hole, he's, you know, he he has his uses. So if you need those categories, he might be your guy. I sometimes have to take a step back and just like remind myself how absurd our podcast is where we make comparisons like, hey, you know this hitter that you're not going to roster in a 12-team league? He's like a slightly worse like bargain bin version of another player that you would not roster in your 12-team league. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that that player comparisons is a gift of mine because I was trying to think of a comparison and i'm like you know what he's, he's kind of like a weak jose siri and then i looked at their player pages and like a, a, a good number a, a good percentage of their lines are like identical Same. or like how or like how i can identify what stats steven matz is going to be dead last in uh, immediately just based on vibes yeah this That's feels true. like a, this feels like steve matz is in last place in this one i feel like I'm very good at like you proposing things to me and I'm really good at guessing them. And then you're just also good at in- inferring based off of like a couple little pieces of info. 
one make one making the comps to other players and two also with the Steven Matz thing. Uh yeah, he's very bad at this thing. He, specifically, you are the the world's foremost Steven Matz hater, I think is really what it comes down to on that one specifically. But I, I would slay on Steven Matz Jeopardy. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. So, uh... I wanted to because Shrubsy covered a hitter. I wanted to cover a pitcher. And I know a lot of people are probably uh, after the news from who's the Dodgers prospect that's getting called up. Uh, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yes, exactly. No, it's. Oh, God. What is his name? I know his last name is Sheeran. Sheehan. Robert, Robert, Robert Sheehan. It's not Robert Sheehan either. It's Emmett. Emmett Sheehan. That's what it is. Thank you. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, I am so smart. I'm really glad that I had that prepared. Everyone's probably going to be thinking about Emma Chian, um, coming into today because I believe he makes his debut today on Friday when we're recording this. But I want to talk about a pitcher for the other LA team who had like a pretty sneakily quiet, good past month, and that's Griffin Canning. So he's one of the more interesting pitchers I think I'll be looking at this year. He suffered a stress fracture in his back that sidelined him for over a year and a half. I think it was like 20 months. Uh, and then he also had like a small groin injury that briefly put him in question to start the season this year. Uh, he worked through that uh, and managed to nab the sixth starting pitcher spot for the Angels. And after a kind of suspect start, again, he's had a really impressive past month, at least results wise. So after his last or over his last five starts, Canning is averaging just under six innings pitched per start. He has a 3.07 ERA and a 1.16 whip and has got a really great 26, 29 to 6K to base on ball ratio. He's also nabbed three wins during that time. So if you were smart enough uh, to have picked him up at any point during that stretch, you probably got some nice value out of it. Um, now, comparing 2023 Griffin Canning post-injury to 2021 Griffin Canning and prior isn't as straightforward as like someone who had like a clean 2022 to kind of look at or anything like that. Um, but comparing those two players, I think that there are some clear changes in intent that are worth looking at to see why he may be having recent success. So I want to start kind of like pitch by pitch with usage. So the slider is his most used pitch. Now that's a change from previous Griffin canning. Um, and it's his best pitch and it's not really close. He's always thrown it hard. Uh, it's only got like a six mile per hour separation between his four seamer and the movement profile on canning slider is unique in that it basically drops straight down like a rock and even has a little bit of arm side movement on average, which I thought was really odd. Like, it's it's pretty minuscule. It's like half half an inch or like 
something like that. Um, but it's incredibly spin inefficient and is definitely like a seam shifted wake type pitch, which explains a bit in the movement. It's weird, but it's a really, really effective offering now that he throws more than throws it more than his four seamer for the first time in his career. And I would be curious to see if he keeps pushing that usage up even higher. Um, the four seamer, since I just brought it up, kind of want to talk about that too. It there, there's something good to be said about it. And that is the fact that he came back after 20 months away and is now averaging the best velo on his four seamer in his entire career. So he's averaging 94.7 so far this year. Uh, that said, his four-seamer also may be his worst pitch somehow. Um, oh, we, we love a garbage four-seamer here on In the Deep. It's not great, man. Like it's, it's, so it's sitting at nearly 95. It's got really, really good spin efficiency, too. Um, and it gets way more, it gets more ride than the average MLB fastball, but it gets hit super hard so often. And you ask yourself, well, it sounds like that pitch might be pretty good based on what you've told me so far. Yeah, sure. But... If you look at his heat map on Baseball Savant, it's just a giant bright red blob right in the middle of the zone. He throws it down the middle so, so, so much. Um, obviously, even if you're fastball, like there's very few fastballs in the league that are going to find success going right down the heart of the plate. Like they have to be pretty, pretty, pretty elite fastballs to even have remote success there. Uh, like you're thinking Spencer Strider, who can get away with stuff like that. Um, so even he's been kind of home run happy lately when he does it. Exactly. So, um, but so that obviously needs to change. Um, speaking of changes, the change up, uh, really interesting pitch when he's heaving it up there, it's sitting only a few miles an hour slower than his fastball. He's like throwing at 89, 90 sometimes. Um, but I mean, Schwebzy and I were watching one of Griffin Canning's starts, uh, I believe it was the one against the White Sox, if I'm not mistaken. And there was a, he threw a righty righty changeup to, I can't remember who, but absolutely locked the hitter up. Like the thing can be very, very good. And aside from one game where he made two really terrible pitches against the Mariners and gave up home runs on it, it's been a really nice weapon for him against both lefties and righties. Um, the other big issue with Canning this year is that he's been plagued a ton by an abundance of hard hit balls that he's allowed. So his 44.9% hard hit rate allowed this year is like the worst of his career by a mile. And it's in the 22nd percentile uh, in the league. He's also got a really obscenely high home run to fly ball rate. It's 21st highest among pitchers with 40 plus innings pitch. So that's starters, I should say. Um, So not super great. Um, And again, most of this is just due to really, really poor fastball location. He's thrown that four seamer down the middle and it's been six of the 10 home runs that he's allowed so far this year. Um, but all of this stuff has gotten knocked around from time to time. Yeah. Um, six, 60% of his home runs on 30% of his pitches. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So not great. Maybe locate the fastball better. Um, that's pretty much the advice here is like, I think that he could be a lot better, uh, with such a spin efficient fastball. If he did a better job throwing it North South, like locating it right at the bottom of the zone or again, elevating, um, I really, really think that he should throw more sliders specifically to left-handed hitters. I mean, obviously you think of a slider as a weapon that you throw as a right-handed pitcher against righties throwing it low and away, but his slider has a really interesting movement profile where it drops straight down like that. And it's, I think really confusing for left-handed hitters. Like it doesn't, 
really get caught by them a lot. He's got a massive whiff rate against left-handed hitters with that slider. So I want to see him throw that more against lefties. Um, it actually does better than it does against right-handed hitters, which is, I think is kind of weird for a slider. So um, I would also like to see him throw more of those change-ups too. Like he's only throwing it around like 12% of the time right now, I believe. I want to see him up it to like closer to 20. I feel like it's a very, very good pitch. Um, overall, I do think that there's blow-up risk here for sure, just because obviously he has not done a great job locating his fastball. He's probably going to get punished if he con- continues to do that. That said, if he can find some better com- command around the zone of that fastball, I think he could finish the season as a fairly valuable add in 15-teamers if he does a little bit of tinkering here. So there's there's promise to be found in Griffin Canning. We were talking about his curveball being thrown more right because he throws the change up like 20 what through 22 percent of the time the curveball is down around 13%. oh no i wasn't talking about the curveball no my bad i didn't even bring up the curveball actually so you want to see even more than 22 percent change-ups yes i had the wrong number written down i had 12 instead of 22 simply just stop throwing the fastball is what we want not even just not throwing the fastball i mean just locate it better it's a, I think it's a fine pitch. Like you clear that like ninety four mile per hour threshold that we talk about being important so often. Um, it's just not throwing it right down the middle of the plate all the time. So like just looking at heat maps, it doesn't look like any of his pitchers are particularly well located consistently. Like it does yeah. look like he's more of a, a a control over command guy. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, like, can he be someone that succeeds by doing the Josiah Gray thing? I wonder. Like, that's the thing. I think for him, the answer is more so just locate the fastball better. Like, you can throw wonder, it as much as you are now, but just locate it better. Um, I wonder if a cutter would work for him. It would be the only. He's like, tried it, throwing a cutter in the past, I believe, and it got lit up. I mean, obviously, uh, like, that's a different thing. Um, see here. Yeah, oh, that, he threw, yeah, that was he, 2020. Yeah, he th- he threw a cutter in 2020. He threw it 23.6 percent of the time. Um, and it did you. It did absolutely get lit up. Yeah, but I like I I feel like it would complement his repertoire. It would be the only thing in his repertoire that would move glove side. Yeah. Um. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm 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 couch coaching. Ignore me. Well, no, no. I mean, there, there, we can speculate on this all day too. Like, we, there's plenty of different things that he could do. I think like what he has now is fine. Um, it's just a matter of actually tinkering with his usage against like lefties and righties. Like, again, I think one thing for sure that slider against left-handed hitters should be thrown more. Like right now, yeah. let me look at it here. He is throwing it against lefties twenty-four point four percent of the time. But he's starting against righties 39% of the time. I want to see him push that slider usage against left-handed hitters up. Yeah. And I, I think it's encouraging that there are a few different things that you can point to as possible paths forward to being even better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not going to, and I don't think it's going to be one thing specifically that he needs to change, right? Like maybe, I mean, obviously I think limiting the damage on the fastball is probably the biggest thing, but yeah um all right that's gonna be it for griffin canning uh we're gonna get to our league-wide roundup and talk about some other players right after this ad break 
All right, we are back. Schwebzy, let's get to our roundup here. Uh, let's start with the NL East. Uh, Eddie Rosario, he's still getting a ton of playing time, but he definitely cooled off since last week when we brought him up too. Uh, I think he's only got a few hits. He went uh, hitless in three games this past week so far. Um, he's very streaky. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta Atlanta is amazingly committed to getting him in the lineup most days. He's, he's actually... Uh, pretty much a straight up platoon guy now it's just the braves never face lefties ah fair enough yeah that makes sense like really they since like in in the last month they faced three lefties so he's he's only sat three times in the last month it's actually a really good point man yeah yeah i should have looked, looked at this at the uh at the pitching matchups a little bit deeper yeah, i mean they they've their matchups have been such that it doesn't even matter like kevin pilar is their lefty masher and he just hasn't even gotten any opportunities. He's been unreal this year, Kevin Pillar. He's, He's just he has been very good. Yeah, they've just faced so few lefties that it's flying under the radar. Yep, severe lack of playing time. But um, yeah. So Eddie Rosario, I don't know. I do you play the game of chicken, where you where you where you decide do I pick him up or don't I pick him up. And then all of a sudden, feels- it's just like you let him sit there for long enough, and he's just gonna like start going off. It's unbelievable that he only has 27 RBI. Why is that? Because of that lineup. I suppose so, but he's he's hitting usually like 6th or 7th, isn't he? Yeah, 5th, 6th, 7th behind okay. behind Olsen, Murphy, Riley, Albies, and Acuna. Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know with Eddie Rosario. I feel like I try to fade guys like this, obviously, like... Again, I have a tendency to draft teams that have terrible batting average, um, and Eddie Rosario is not going to help that for me. <laughs> not necessarily look- looking for the counting stats, so I think it's worth at least pointing out because, again, the offensive composition of that team is so gross, like Shrubs you just mentioned. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably fading Rosario for now, um, but the playing time you know is there I mean, still. We bring him up every week, and there's a reason for that. It's because he always shows up somewhere on, like, the player raider for the last two weeks or the last month True. because he's consi- he's like consistently okay which yeah. does count it does count for something oh for sure um it still has value depending on how deep your league is uh yeah all right let's go to miami and jesus sanchez um he kind of had a poor week this past week but he has uh trevor williams cole irvin or sorry jake irvin uh, and Patrick Corbin uh, this weekend facing the Nationals, which is not a bad look uh, since the Marlins will probably see six righties all of next week. And Sanchez kind of just mashes righties. That's kind of what he does. Um, so it might not be a bad stretch to pick him up for necessarily. Um, I'd take a look at that, at least if you need the help in the outfield. So something that I neglected to mention last week uh, is that Sanchez is a fantastic defender. Mm. He just robbed a, a a pretty monster home run. I think it was against was it Eugenio Suarez. I think. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, he he did ju- he did just have a killer home run robbery, and his outs above average are uh, that that metric he he grades fantastically. So you know, I I forgot I should have mentioned this in the deep dive, but that should help him continue to get playing time. All right. Uh, excellent. I don't think we have any other Marlins to talk about. Let's go to the Mets. Shrubsy, all about the Mets, baby. Wow. Wow. Anyways, 
we're going to talk about a couple of left fielders. Tommy Pham continues to hit the ball really, really hard and has now started in six straight games. I personally have found myself repeatedly saying, wow, the Mets really needed that. Like it, with regards to things that Pham has done, I, I've said that several times lately, and that is both really bad for the Mets and really good for Pham and anybody who rosters him in fantasy. I, I've rostered him in a league or two because I expect him to get all the playing time he can handle while the Mets lineup struggles and while Pete Alonso is hurt. And then the Mets' other left fielder, who is now a first baseman, uh, Mark Canna. Since May 15th, Mark Canna has a casual 151 WRC+. The only problem is that his playing time is a bit sporadic, and it's not... So we, we, we talk a, a lot about Luke Rayleigh and Jose Siri, where Rayleigh will always sit against lefties, and Jose Siri just kind of gets benched at random. Mark Canna is in the Siri camp, in that he just kind of gets benched on random days, and it's hard to predict. He is getting first base reps with Pete Alonso on the shelf, but that hasn't prevented him from getting benched in two of the last seven, as the Mets still need to get Mark Vientos some playing time, and uh, Pham has pretty much demanded being in the lineup every day with his play. So I like Canna. Uh, he generally does pretty well at this time of year, but... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I can recommend rostering him right now in, in any but the deepest of leagues just because the playing time is a little bit unpredictable right now. True. Uh, I dropped, I, I know I dropped Mark Hanna in uh, TGFBI earlier this year because he had just been struggling so much. He was kind of a drain on my batting average. I couldn't really keep him yeah, on my was, bench even. He was not great to start the season. Yeah, he um, was rough the first like six weeks or so. Yeah, it's nice to see him make the turn though. Here, so that's good. Yes. Um, all right, let's go to Philadelphia and Taiwan Walker. Schwebzy. Yes, I love to see both Taiwan Walker and Mark Canha thrive during Pride Month because they are both very outspoken allies and fantastic people in general. Hell yeah. Uh, I think as far as productivity-wise, they're pretty similar in that they are cromulent veterans who are just on good runs right now. Neither of them is as good as they've played for the last month, but they are good players who will go on runs. Walker has been good, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still just a streamer. And I, I want to say that you should stream him on the road because he's a mediocre pitcher pitching in a terrible ballpark. But he has a 6.75 ERA on the road and a 2.25 ERA in a miserable ballpark for pitchers in Citizens Bank ballpark. It makes no sense. He's gotten lucky at home, if you look at like his BABIP, his strand rate, but he's also giving up way more home runs on the road, and he's only striking out 15% of batters on the road. Like His strikeout-to-walk numbers are so different at home and on the road. I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. If I wanted to just follow good process, I would I would start him on the road, but so far this year, that would have led to pretty disastrous results. So... Frankly, I don't think I don't really know what to do with Taiwan Walker. He's an he's an enigma for sure. Um, I I really don't get him. I don't. I'm and that's why I don't want to be in on him at all because I'm just scared. It's just be, me being gun shy for the most part. Yeah, because my I mean, ratios are already so bad in most of my leagues. But he's he's starting today when we're recording uh, in Oakland, which is nothing that is going to be actionable for our listeners, sadly. Yeah. But 
his start after that is home against Atlanta, and there is just no world in which nope. I run him out there for that start. Absolutely not. Can't do it. Um, all right, let's go to the Washington Nationals and Luis Garcia. Uh, we're just going to keep banging this drum and screaming it from the rooftops over and over again. Like He's like a batting average floor king. Like, if you need help in batting average, if you need someone to stabilize because you've got a bunch of like empty power bats, he's someone that you can grab. Um, the counting stats aren't necessarily going to be great because that offense is fairly anemic in comparison to most in the league. But again, he's going to hit a bunch because he doesn't strike out like ever. So, uh, all right, let's go to the NL Central. Kyle Hendricks is back, has made a few starts now. I know that Schwabzi and I kind of have differing opinions on Kyle Hendricks. Schwabzi's a bit more optimistic than I am about him. He personally scares me. I think that the ratios are going to be okay um, in terms of like at least his whip because he just rarely walks hitters. Um, but when you have a guy who goes eight innings of shutout ball and only strikes out three, there's got to be some immense batted ball luck for that to happen. Um, I, I just don't know if I can buy in. It's Kyle Hendricks, man. You say this. <laughs> you say this. That's my that's my analysis. It, he's, he was bad last year. He was bad the year before. He I'm just, saying, uh, I, like my th- my thing about him is that he is a he is a control guy. He's a command guy. It's not about you know like like I don't think I, I don't I don't see anything in the last two years that says he can't turn it around you know now if he's not if he's not perfect then he will be bad but you know he he's been good in the past with similar stuff like i i don't see any reason he can't be good again i know i I think i mean maybe it's recency bias i don't know but he's just been not good for two years I can't imagine with his particular skill set that he is going to manage to maintain like the ERA and whip that he currently has. I feel like he's going to be pushing a four ERA again, maybe a little bit over. Like even if he improves from his past two seasons, that's still a subpar pitcher that you don't want to roster. Dude, if he could be, if he could be a consistent four ERA pitcher this year, that would be fine. Sure, maybe. I don't know. I just I can't I can't bring myself to do it. I mean, maybe this is inter- internalized bias. Because I'm a Brewers fan. I don't know what it is. But I just really don't like Kyle Hendricks for this year. I don't know. I feel so like... look, look, at, look at his heat maps versus Griffin Canning's heat maps. Oh, I know. He locates his pitches immensely well. I understand. It's just like the stuff is just not that good. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's a hard one. Um, all right. And then also for the Cubs, Al- Adbert Alzale. Oh, my gosh. I almost messed that up so many times. Uh, I did mess it up so many times. Uh, he's got two saves and a hold over the past couple of weeks. His ERA has been stellar, and obviously he's sharing that closer role uh, with Mark Leiter Jr., who's also been very good this year, who struggled in a couple appearances lately. So um, LZLA has looked pretty darn good. So if you need someone who's going to pro- provide you good ratios, uh, strikeout numbers aren't what they used to be for LZLA, but uh, again, occasional save and hold. We'll take that anytime we can. Um, so I like him a decent amount. Uh, let's go to Cincinnati and talk about Will Benson. I want to like Will Benson because he's got an exciting skill set, but he is just a strong side platoon 
player at the moment, and that is Jake Fraley's role, and Jake Fraley is due back this weekend. Benson's been good, but I expect him to go back to playing too sporadically to uh, to really be worth rostering. So if you were considering adding him, don't. And if you uh, have him, get that get that backup plan ready. Perfect. Uh, let's go to Milwaukee. Uh, you know when you do a deep dive on someone the week before and you're really optimistic and then they make you look really, really bad? No. Nah. Never happened to me. That's not true. We know that's not true. We've done eighty-five <laughs> episodes of this after we released this one. It is absolutely it's, cra- it's crazy. I'm a, what a what a run, right? Eighty-five in a row. Sh- shame that has to end, right? We're getting canceled after this week. This is how we announce, it, folks. No, just kidding. Um, no, but uh, talking about Joey Weimer, obviously he's still getting playing time every single day, but it's been a really rough week, and he made me look really bad after talking him up so much last week. He's really, really streaky. Um. That's pretty much all I got. It hurts to con- continually be hurt by the Brewers. I mean, it was, to be fair, it was a rough week for the Brewers in general last week, getting swept by the A's to start off their uh, seven game winning streak. It was just, it was just not great. Um, but yeah, uh, let's go to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Shrubs, we got two here. Rich Hill, let's start with. There's a lot of, pitchers struggling this year with the new rules the new like the pitch clock and whatnot especially veterans we were talking about this earlier it seems like a a lot of the guys struggling are uh like like your lance lynn's your max scherzer's your verlander's a lot a lot of old timers are struggling dick mountain doesn't care (laughs) rich hill does not care about your pitch clocks or your league-wide trends or whatever he's just here to throw out unexpected quality starts and just generally be fun and confusing Rich Hill has quality starts this year against Houston at Colorado at Washington, where he got five strikeouts against the team that never strikes out against St. Louis against the Mets. He's, he's 43. He's 43. And he, he has struck out at least six batters in seven of his 13 starts. I know this is insane, but I kind of wish Rich Hill was still on the Mets and he's worth playing in fantasy. As long as you're as long as you're smart about deploying him. So my question is, end of season, who's the most valuable starting pitcher? Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, or Rich Hill? Uh Verlander, <laughs> but I do th- I, I I think Rich Hill is going to make way more of a contest of it than it should be. Actually, no, I should say I think the Mets guys are going to make it more of a contest than it should be by being not as good as we expected. Fair enough. Ah, uh, the woes of being a Mets fan. Having such a bad time. This, this is why year. they stuck us together, is because we both are just sad all the time about our baseball yeah. teams. But uh all just right. w- brief moments of happiness just to really hammer home the sadness. Just to, you, yeah, you need I, some juxtaposition uh, in the in the entire composition of the the, the giant uh uh quilt that is being a fan of either of these teams. There are so many raggedy holes in the Mets quilt, but (laughs) basically on the other side of the pitching spectrum from Rich Hill is Johan Oviedo. He remains absolutely infuriating. Uh, He looked great versus the Cubs until he didn't. Uh, He was striking out guys left and right until he let Christopher Morrell hit a, an opposite field gapper of a triple 
And then he beamed the, ne the next batter, and it all fell apart. It's really hard to strike out eight batters, only walk one, not allow any home runs, and have a really bad start. I still can't quit Oviedo, because he's still only allowed more than two earned runs twice since May 6th, and he has struck out at least five batters in six straight starts. Uh, uh, he's just going to continue to drive me nuts all year long. He had the Cubs. His next start is against the Cubs again. I'm going to run him out there because I'm a masochist, but uh, I, I do think that the Cubs are an offense he can handle. So you sent me a screen, or someone sent me a screenshot, or maybe I just saw it on Twitter. I don't know. But it was like Johan Oviedo, 3.2 innings pitch. I think he had seven strikeouts at that point. He might have had eight. I don't actually remember. It's just like, oh, wow, he's absolutely destroying the Cubs. That's fantastic. This is exactly what Shrebzy was hoping for today. And then shortly, I think it was shortly thereafter. You and I were on a video. You, you and I were on a call when he started getting oh, annihilated. Oh, that's what it was. I was giving you the play-by-play. -play. That's what it was. You sent. You did send me a screenshot then. Oh, God. It's like, he looks great. Oh, no, triple. Oh, no, hit by pitcher. Uh, well, it's, it's our fault then. We'll take the blame for that. Yeah. Sorry, Johan. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the NL West. Start with Emmanuel Rivera. Um, he kind of bounces around in the order, but he has currently everyday playing time, and it's going to be likely getting first base eligibility to go along with his third base eligibility at some point. Um, he's hitless over his last three, but does have a three thirty average over a really significant sample this year. It's nothing to sneeze at. Um, there's not really going to be anything there in terms of power or speed, so this is a nice filler piece to balance out some empty power bats that can get you more counting stats um yeah i really like emmanuel rivera actually um similar vein as uh luis garcia for sure maybe obviously like less power upside but yeah i like him a lot um all right let's go to colorado and talk about ezekiel tovar yeah dude he just keep his his improvements have been very gradual like gradual to the point where like it's it's almost difficult to notice if you don't like actually like dig in i feel like the the rumblings have been slowly getting louder about him as as people start to notice the improvements but he has looked better week by week i mentioned a couple of back-to-back -back games against the mets where like he made like really visible improvements from game to game i i feel like he's gonna wind up being like a quality fantasy starter before the end of the year where where are you at on him right now? Um, I'm thinking much more short term when I was looking at him. Um, I think since the calendar turned over the June turned over to June, he's been hitting 286, which is great. Uh, I think starting next week, he's got a stretch of games that is at Cincinnati for a series, and then he's got nine straight home games, three straight home series. That seems like a good time to pick him up. Is right before that, like that seems like a very good stretch to hopefully bank on him having some decent production. So I, I think I like that a lot. Um, he has been better as of late. I'm still a little bit hesitant long-term, but I do like this stretch of the next few weeks for sure. If you look at his rolling charts, there's a big canyon over his first, like, 100 batted balls. And then... Since that moment, he's kind of been hovering around league average while dipping up, like, like reaching above it more often. 
Yeah. The trend the trend is going up. The trend lines are going up. All right. Uh you want to talk about Justin Lawrence as well, Schwebs. Yeah, I I think he's the Rockies closer right now, which I had been waiting for all season long. And now he just needs some save opportunities. He has not been at his best over the last month. The strikeouts are down, the walks are up, but here's hoping that he can get back to his early season form now that he has seemingly gotten the closer job. It would be uh I it would be very sad if he finally claimed the the role and it was at like his worst point in the season. But I, I have a couple of shares because I, I, I believe in the wonky delivery and, and the stuff. Maybe the Colorado Rockies closer role is just cursed. Maybe. Have, have we considered that? Maybe or maybe Pierce Johnson just sucks. Hey. That's not very nice. Sorry. He Sorry, did, Pierce Johnson. He did nothing to you. Um and then all right, let's go to the Dodgers. Uh David <laughs> Darn right he didn't because I didn't roster him anywhere because he sucks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Pierce. Sorry again, Pierce. Let's go let's go to the Dodgers and David Peralta shrubs. Uh, strong side platoon, decent RBI spot, and he has very quietly put up a 141 WRC plus over the last month. Could be a decent bet for batting average and some counting stats if he can hang on to this role. He's a professional hitter. I, I don't think he's going to see a JD Martinez type of renaissance in LA, but I, I think he's fine. I think he's cromulent. He's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he'll give you some batting average and ribbies. Probably not home runs. For some reason, he seems to have lost his home run stroke somewhere in the middle of last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's not probably what you're getting for anyways at this point. But yeah, um, kind of a bummer. Um, I want to talk about Chris Taylor. Uh, Max Buncey, according to Dave Roberts, he was hoping that he would be back for recording. We're recording this on a Friday for tomorrow's game on Saturday. Um, out of his mind. He has a grade two hamstring strain, which is pretty gnarly and should take multiple weeks to come back from uh so i think the biggest beneficiary of muncie going down is going to be chris taylor he's going to probably get quite a bit of playing time while muncie works his way back um that's pretty much it it's just the opportunity like i I think we've talked about chris taylor before and the goods and the bads and like there can definitely be some times where he accrues counting stats but the batting average is typically going to leave you wanting um yeah that's pretty much the extent of it um let's go to the giants uh shrubs you talk about patrick bailey oh yeah you know the casual rookie catcher with a 925 ops no no big deal right for a rookie catcher to do that very cool he's got yeah he's got 17 rbi in his first 20 games which is dumb for anybody but especially dumb for a rookie catcher i added him in tgfbi i i I finally cut bait on on, a christian bethencourt and I will be riding this hot streak until the wheels fall off. He is squaring the ball up plenty. My major qualm here is that he doesn't take pitches. Uh, he had good walk rates in the minors, but that has not shown itself in the majors yet. It is encouraging that he is smoking both fastballs and breaking pitches in his young career so far. And then in the Giants outfield, uh, this is an easy one. Jock Peterson, start him against righties. That's it. That's that's the whole thing. Just if he's playing against a righty, start him. If Jock Peterson was born in like the early 1900s when being a lefty was like a, a sign of the devil or whatever, 
uh, he, he would have basically been Babe Ruth because he would have gotten to face all those righties. Uh, although actually, no, I mean, if he was, if you transported Jock Peterson to the 1900s, he would hit 220 home runs and be burned at the stake for being a lefty and a witch, I think. But I, I digress. He's good. Start him. Jock Peterson. Good. Heard. Love that. <laughs> Jock Peterson, which, uh, someone make a shirt of that, please. Hey, this man's swinging the bat from the wrong side, and he's got pearls on. Burn him! <laughs> oh God, you're right. I can say, actually, I really want that to be a shirt now. Uh, the man being burned at the stake with pearls on. I wish we knew someone that was like a graphic designer. I wish. I wish I lived in the same house as a graphic designer. All right, and then let's wrap up the Giants with Mikey Stremski. Uh, so he mashes righties and did just that uh, against the Cardinals over the last couple of games. He's worth a stream versus right-handed pitching in daily moves leagues and weekly leagues where you'll assume that he'll see like five-plus right-handed pitchers in a week. Otherwise, he's pretty rough against lefties. I would probably fade him if he's got a he- lefty-heavy week. Um, but yeah, uh, let's go to the AL East and talk about the Orioles. I'm going to start with Ryan O'Hearn. Um, there's a really good article from Ben Palmer over at Baltimore Sports and Life about O'Hearn's improvements in plate discipline and batted ball quality and how they've led to a ton of solid results as of late. He's having the best year of his career. He's hitting 315, 363, 603 for a split. And on the season, he's on pace for career bests in home runs, runs, and RBIs, obviously playing time permitting. Um, so yeah, Ryan O'Hearn, as far as like stats compared to how much playing time he's actually getting is looking pretty incredible right now the vibes in baltimore are just immaculate so good they're turning other i mean like you're, you're gonna talk about the other person that just like showed up and started popping off too oh dude i can't believe that i unironically added aaron hicks to a fantasy team in the year 2023 and i i i told you to do the same thing and you i added did him too right and even crazier i listened to you yeah he listened to me and then aaron hicks hit a home run which is cool aaron hicks is aaron hicks is bringing Jordan and I together, the, a thing I thought was impossible, but <laughs> this is a, it's, what a stupid sport this is. That uh, as, as a hater, I, I love that Aaron Hicks is thriving for a team that actually seems to enjoy themselves after leaving the baseball team equivalent of a doctor's office in the Yankees. Uh, Hicks has played in 12 of 15 games since joining the Orioles. I want to say 12 of 14 because he sat the first game that he joined the team, which is is not weird. Uh, and he's been hitting in the middle of the lineup every day. Like, ri- like ride it until the wheels fall off. He's got like a 20% walk rate with the Orioles. That's I'm, I'm just ballparking that, but it's really high. All right, let's go to the Boston Red Sox and talk about uh, Tanner Houck real quick. Uh, he's taken a big step back over the last few years in terms of like K rates. Um, he could be fine for a stream here or there. If they stack left-handed hitters against him, though, just don't. Honestly, don't bother. He's been getting absolutely destroyed this year by left-handed hitters. Um, so please, please fade that if you're able to. Um, yeah, and let's go to, what about the Yankees, Shrubsy and Clark Schmidt? A perennial well, favorite. I, I, I do want to mention Brian Bayo uh, of the Red Sox first. I talk about him every week. I'm going to continue to talk about him every week until he's over 20%. He, is, he has not given up more than, three, uh, more than three earned runs in a start since April 23rd seems good very very cromulent he's not striking out as many batters as i would have expected or as i would like but he's been very good and then moving over to the other side of that boston yankee rivalry clark schmidt 
I am shocked. I'm shocked at how well Clark Schmidt handled the Red Sox. We talked about it on the podcast, how the Red Sox have a pretty, pretty good lineup against right-handed pitchers, and Clark Schmidt handled it, handled it with aplomb. Like, I, yeah, I, I was impressed. I, I still think Clark Schmidt has a lot of blow-up potential in, in a bad way, like a cherry bomb way. But, yeah, I, I'm i still right where I was uh, before that start with Clark Schmidt. I'm running him out there against weaker offenses and expecting a lot of strikeouts. Nice. Yeah. I mean, another pitcher just off the top of my head over the past week that has had a very had a very good start against the Red Sox, righty, that no one really expected. Connor Siebold of the Rockies. <laughs> Which was really I'm weird. St- I'm I, still not doing it. I don't know what's happening there. Um just I'm I'm just gonna chalk this up to a weird week for the Red Sox more than anything. But um all right, let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh start with Manny Margot. Um he's hitting three twenty four in June so far playing pretty much every day the counting stats are meh they're fine um but he's a really just another one of these really solid average floor guys who might end up stealing 20 bases by the end of the season probably has value somewhere um particularly in roto leagues so um and then what about jose siri he is in a slump right now which saddens me greatly yeah. he is striking out he is striking out 48.5 percent of the time in june nearly half of his plate appearances i will be very sad if he stays on this cold streak because it is a very fun ride when he is hot he's basically like ronald Acuna jr with a with a strikeout problem he's he's just unreal when he's when he's running hot schweppes always got them player comps baby <laughs> Always got him on deck. Uh, all right, let's go to the AL. You know, oh, we had, we, sorry. Weird thing about Siri. He's not running nearly as much as I would have expected this year. Like that no, was what really. we were. That's what I was really excited about in the offseason. I expected him to be like a 30 stolen base guy, but he's only got six. He's been a power threat, which is within his skill set, but it's unexpected. If there's anything that is certain, it's the Tampa Bay Rays being surprising. Zigging and zagging zigzag uh all right let's go to the al central starting with the white Sox. i don't know why we have to keep talking about this every single week he shouldn't be out there why is jake Berger not rostered in more leagues why please explain this to me the man hits nukes it's it's absurd that he is still on waiver wires like he's cracked please go pick him up he's been awesome lately they're gonna find ways to get him in the lineup with how good he's been they can't not um he's got he's got 404 career plate appearances and he's at 25 home runs so good he's so good uh uh let's go to cleveland now uh have you talked about will brennan yes will brennan continues to play every day talked about him last week and how he's starting to impact the ball a little bit better starting to actually get some barrels and the cleveland guardians offense is actually starting to show some signs of life Brennan is just hitting a casual 404 since the uh since May 29th. That'll seems that'll good. play. Seems good. Uh yeah. that'll that'll definitely do. Um all right, let's go to Detroit and the Tigers. Talk about Spencer Torkelson. He's been hitting the ball hard with consistency and he's still not getting quite the results that many people I think would expect. Um I still think he's a guy that you should probably grab and stash because there's going to come a point where he starts popping off. I just have a feeling. Um, and then, was there anyone else for the Tigers that you wanted to cover, Schwabzy? 
Nah, I mean, Lorenzen's been fine, but he's just, he's a streamer. There's not a whole yeah. lot to say about him, I don't think. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, some of that I think we both are down to talk about, though, for the Royals. Uh, sp- specifically with uh, the Vinny P situation and him having season-ending surgery is Nick Prado. This is Italian-American discrimination. <laughs> Insert Sopranos meme here. Um, yeah. Uh, he was already getting plenty of playing time, but now with Vinny P out for the year, he's going to get every opportunity to play from here on out in what is yet another lost season for Kansas City. Nick Prado has hit leadoff every day since May 27th. Yes, correct. He's been fantastic, too, during that stretch. I'm sorry. He, he did hit seventh once in that stretch, but leadoff pretty much every day. And what's his average during that stretch? Oh, God, you're, you're asking me things I don't have in front of me. Do it. Figure it out. Do the math. What did I say? What did I say? The 27th? Yeah. Uh, only 262. That's fine. But... That's fine. Yeah, but with nine runs scored, which is a function of him hitting leadoff. Yep. Strike strikeout rate's a little high, but I mean, I I still think he's fine. Yeah. No, I dig Nick Prado in that leadoff spot. Um. All right, let's go to Minnesota. Uh, Edward Julian, Schwebzy. Dude, I re- I remain very intrigued by Julian, and he is now leading off against righties every every day, uh, or every every game against righties. Uh, Jorge Polanco has hit the IL once again. Julian is showing his trademark strong walk rates, but striking out more than I would have expected based on his minor league numbers. It's only 91 plate appearances, but that is something to keep an eye on. He should be a good source of OBP, runs scored, and the occasional home run while he's up. Love that. Uh, I want to talk about Willie Castro again. So now that there's folks coming back from injury, he's getting pushed to a short side platoon role. And that's kind of a bummer. His his production had been really, really excellent while he was getting regular playing time. So it's a huge, big, it's a, it's a big sad for me specifically. Um, now it's basically just wait and see if there's other people that get hurt. Then he might get more opportunities. But um, for now, I think you can probably just drop him if you do have him on your rosters. Um, and then Donovan Solano, Schwebs, you want to talk about? I, I feel like I'm getting too invested in these player comps because Donovan Solano just feels like Kirkland brand Luis Arias. Where some like someone was like, Mom, I want Luis Arias, and the twins were like, We have Luis Arias at home. But like it's like they're way too committed to playing Solano because they traded Arias away and and they just want someone like him still in the lineup. I miss him so much. Everything reminds me of him. Every 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 slapdick single reminds me of him. It's like when you have like it's like when you have a stuffed animal when you're a kid and you lose it and your parents try to get you one that's the same one, but it's not the same. Like you know yeah. it's not the same one. Yeah. Alright. Like we're that. we're being we're being flippant. We are, but over the last month Solano is hitting three twenty one. Donnie Barrels, baby. With a 13.2% walk rate, so it's a 418 OBP. Love to see now, that. Now, it is a sky-high Babbitt. He's getting lucky, but he is still hitting pretty well. Uh, the counting stats are not great because he's not great, but he's, he's, in there, he's in there every day. He's in there every day. He's putting the bat on the ball. Real and he's hard hat, and, lunch pail type of guy. And real bonus points for OBP kind of guy. So... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would actually say Solano might be must-own in OBP right now. Yeah, I could see that. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, let's go to the AL West and wrap this bad boy up. Let's talk about uh, Yaner Diaz from Houston, Schwebs. The the Houston uh, DH battle in general is interesting right now, it, but it's frustratingly open. Both Yaner Diaz and Corey Yilks would be significantly more interesting from a fantasy perspective if they were playing every day, but they are both seeing too many days on the bench, even with Jordan Alvarez hurt. This is still a situation to monitor. I, I do like Yaner Diaz's offensive potential if he ever starts running away with everyday playing time, and especially if he gets a few more starts at catcher and gets that catcher eligibility. I know he's got a few, but I'm not, I'm not sure how many it is off the top of my head. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... Six or seven? Something yeah, like I mean, he, he's another one, Yaner, where the walk rate is, is painful to look at. Uh, it's it's a three percent walk rate r- right now, yeah. which is not high, not high enough, not at all. But yeah, he's he for for a catcher, the offensive potential is is very real. So he has the potential to be a catcher eligible regular DH for the Dodgers, which is uh, sorry for the Astros, which is what we really want here from a fantasy perspective. That would be the most exciting thing. Yeah. Um. What about, uh, I mean, I, th- I think he's out of our range now. We talked about him last week, but uh, Mauricio Dubon seems to be leading off a whole bunch for the, uh, for the Astros now that, and more so again now that Jordan is out for what is seemingly a, an extended period of time. I know he was leading off most days pretty much since the start of the month. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he has sat two of the last seven. So he he's okay. seeing a few he's still seeing a few too many off days for my taste. Yeah. And it's sporadic also. You know, a, a day off against a righty here, a day off against a lefty here, so it's not predictable. Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if you're on top of your lineups. So personally, I, I set my lineups at night. So pl- I hate players like this. Ah, yes. I think this is also I why ha- you hate auto new leagues. Could be. That could be. That could be. It's also why I hate Yahoo leagues because you can't you can't like make player ads at night in Yahoo leagues because oh, yeah. you just can't drop you can't drop players for the next day or whatever. Um, so yeah, I I I'm a nighttime lineup setter. So players like this, who you only find out if they're playing or not the day of, are are the bane of my existence. Ah, yes. Um. All right. Yeah. Let's go to. Let's see. What other teams we got to talk about? Uh, Angels. Um. Yes. Zach Neto. Uh, man, Neto is injured right now, but he really seemed to be starting to figure things out before he got hurt. He's fresh out of college, and man, he's a, he's a good ball player. I would be if if he's out there or if he gets dropped because he's injured, I would be looking to acquire and stash. And on top of Zach Neto being hurt, Anthony Rendon is also hurt, which opens up everyday playing time. I think for Luis Renjifo, and. Renjifo was a hero last year down the stretch for a lot of deep league teams. And if he's getting everyday plate appearances, I am interested in him again. Uh, it's a it's a solid lineup. And I we've seen what Renjifo can do when he's running hot. So I, I love him as a uh, as a glue guy for teams down the stretch or heading into the all-star break. We're not at the stretch yet. Yeah. Um, middle third. We're in the middle third of the season. Oh, wow. That's weird to think about. I don't, yeah. I don't like that. Um, it's all going so fast. Um, I will say also, uh, injury news with um, the Angels. Rendon's going to be down. Uh, like Trevor, you said, Neto is obviously down. 
uh, Gio Urshela, also probably going to join them on the IL after messing himself up trying to lunge for a close play at first base um, when he was hitting. So um, there's going to be a few playing time things to monitor there to see who's getting opportunities. So that's worth monitoring as well. Um, uh, let's go to Oakland, who, because they had that seven-game winning streak that just finally got snapped not too long ago, uh, has had a pretty decent past week. So it left us with a few people to talk about. Um, something that we talked about before is Ryan Noda. Um, still remains a three true outcomes boyo for sure. Um, is walking at nearly a 20% clip, which is fantastic to see from a rookie. Um, has the power. Um, would love to see him put the ball in play a bit more and not strike out quite so much, but um, still some value to be had there. Uh, Shrubsy, what about Seth Brown? Uh, you guys may remember Seth Brown from last season when he hit 25 home runs and stole 11 bases, which is, you know, awesome. pretty cool. The uh, batting average is not there. Likely will never be there. But if you want some really, really, really cheap power, Seth Brown will continue to be your guy. Love that. All right. Uh, and then kind of in a similar vein, sort of, um, Ramon Laureano. Batting average not going to be there. This is like someone who's, I, I think this was a conversation that was had in the pitcherless plus Discord server. Uh, I think it might have been the trivia section about like, hey, who is this player? Uh, pretty decent counting stats, but his OBP has dropped precipitously and just continued to drop over like the past five years. It has gone down every year, every season he's been in the league. It's it started crazy. off at 358 and it's all the way down to 283 at the moment. It's so bad. Yeah. So, I mean, the counting stats, like there is like power and speed upside here. I don't think I'm chasing it. I don't think I can do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have Floriano in one league and I, I cannot say I'm happy about it. Yeah. So it's an OVP league too. Why? Cause it's a dynasty league and I've had him forever. So I've got, I've got some, to witness some, the decline. Some cost fallacy. <laughs> get rid of him. Schwebs. Uh, I know. All right. What about JP Sears? Uh, can, can we just. Uh, like edit a clip of me talking about JP Sears from a previous week into this into into this slot right here. I'm too lazy, so no. Oh man. All right. Well, he he's a streamer. He's better at home than he is on the road, and he gets a lot more strikeouts than your typical streamer, and that's why we like JP Sears. Bing bang boom. There you go. Easy. Uh, what about Paul Blackburn? Schwabs. This is one you. Were, Black- I feel like you were excited to talk about. He's interesting. Like so. It, you may remember Paul Blackburn being the S, the the A's. Oh my God, I can't talk. We're an hour and fifteen. We're an hour and fifteen minutes in. I can no longer speak. Paul Blackburn was the Athletics All Star representative last year. Believe it or not, uh, and he came back from injury a couple of weeks ago, and he looks kind of good. Looks real good. He struck out six Atlanta Braves in four innings. He struck out nine Rays in five point two innings yesterday. And so, I mean, the big question here is, is he suddenly a better strikeout pitcher? Because that would be huge for his value. I don't think I buy it. Uh, His swinging strike rate is actually down from last year, but his called strike rates are up across every one of his five pitches, which is strange. Yes. Uh, I guess... I guess his control has just been pristine so far. 
that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Like he's just dotting corners and making guys take pitches and then putting them away with the slider. That's the only thing that makes sense to me because the slider is getting whiffs. He's not like, uh, so on baseball reference, you can actually see strikeouts looking versus strikeouts swinging. Mm -hmm. And he's not getting like a disproportionate number of looking strikeouts. So it's not that. I thought he might just be on a streak where he's catching a lot of guys looking. Not the case. So it's weird. His strikeouts are up. It doesn't make sense why they're up. So my assumption is that this will not continue. Maybe it's, but, maybe it's like a sequencing thing where he's throwing off-speed stuff early in counts and getting called strikes that way. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I, do, I do expect him to be a quality streamer this year in general. Similar to J.P. Sears in that you're likely going to want to start him for his home games more than his road games. And I do think the strikeout potential with Sears is a little bit better. So I, But in general, I think they're kind of similar-ish. Nice. All right. Uh, I want to talk about Hogan Harris just very briefly. He's completely serviceable as a streamer, but I don't really expect him to set the world on fire. He's been fine as of late. Um, Last week, you refused to, to talk about this man. I didn't refuse. Oh, yes, you did. You're that, that's that's not real. Don't listen to this man. Uh, he said, I will fight you if you make me talk about Hogan Harris. I, didn't, I said no such thing. Or Harris Hogan, whatever his name is. Hogan's heroes. Um, no, he, he limits barrels. H.H. H- brother. H.H. brother. Uh, he limits barrels well enough, uh, but does still allow a lot of hard contact. Um, honestly, fastball changeup, both pretty good. His cutter is kind of bad, and I'm not sure why he throws it as much as he does. Um, I don't know. I, just digging into him just a little bit. There's some stuff that I saw that I was like, why does he use this pitch so much? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I think that he could be fine as a streamer if you really badly need someone, but otherwise, yeah, whatever. Um, Trevor May, Schwebzy. Let's close out the open well, days talk with him. Fun fact. There's also a Hobie Harris for the Washington Nationals. Fun fact. There's also a Hobie Milner who pitches for the Brewers and he walks out. Or when he strikes people out. Or no, he walks out. Oh, God, what is it? What is the song? Never mind. Just go. I can't remember it. <laughs> Trevor May. You just saw my ADHD a- in real time, folks. You're welcome. Anyways, love Trevor watching, May. Love watching, your, love watching your train of thought do loop-de-loops. Smoke uh, pouring Trevor, out of my ears. <laughs> Trevor May was a popular uh, talking point for me this offseason, I guess, because I was so sure that he was going to get the closer job and that he would be a trade target for some team during the middle of the uh, around the trade deadline didn't work out quite the way i thought he started the year miserably then he took a uh, how how would you describe it it took took a mental mental health break yeah yeah so uh dealing dealing with anxiety and took some time off and now he's back and he appears to be the closer now finally uh my my words uh so he did have one bad appearance lately but he has mostly been throwing clean innings and maybe he might finally be fulfilling my my dream of of him being a the uh, oakland a's closer if you're desperate for saves this is probably where you want to look either him or maybe like i don't know scott mcguff from arizona there there are a couple of a uh, desperation possible closers out there I think I think I would rank the 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 guys out there right now that I was thinking of like Justin Lawrence, then Trevor May, then Scott McGuff, 
Yeah, that's probably where I'd put him too. I was thinking for a second. Uh, also, I just remembered where Hobie Mil- or what Hobie Milner's uh, uh, warm-up music when he enters in oh. home games is. It's the Generation 1 Pokemon trainer battle theme. <laughs> that's fantastic. Which is the dopest thing in the world. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap this thing up with Texas and Leody Tavares. Uh, Tavares, I in my head, and I, I think in real life, was a very streaky player coming into this year, but he's been just, he's just been good. Yeah. He doesn't sit, he doesn't sit, like, he plays pretty much every game in center field. His defense basically demands that he stays on the field. And let me, let me pull this up real quick. His last month, he's hitting 304 with a 366 OBP and a 533 slugging percentage. And it's not being carried by like a wild Babbitt. He's also in the, in the last month got five home runs and three stolen bases. He's just legitimately five category producing right now. He's not stealing as many bases as I, as I would have expected given his speed and the new rules, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because he's just been really, really good regardless. I was, uh, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to use the W word. I refuse, but uh, I, I underestimated how, how long this hot streak would be i refuse to say i'm wrong ever but um, i just did no no i don't know i just i mean i've got it on on, in hd it's not like this is being recorded or anything sure sure bud don't tell the newspapers i was wrong (laughs) but yeah no Tavares has been really good if he is still out there in your in your league and it's he's he's out there in like i think what is it 85 percent of leagues uh, he's he's absolutely worth the roster. He's just yeah, great all around production right now. Been the best nine hitter in the league by and by Texas a mile. In, in maybe in the in maybe the best offense in the league. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Uh all right, we've been at this for almost an hour and a half at this point, so I think it's time for us to wrap it up, Shrubsy. Thanks for doing this with me, buddy. Of course, I don't say that often enough, but thank you. I enjoy spending time with you. All right, that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. We appreciate it. Uh, be sure if you want to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter. We have a shared podcast account that is at In the Deep PL. You can also follow us individually at Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I and myself at Bunt Singles. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.